Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today is a live broadcast, Monday, September 25th, 2023. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to have Michael Basham and then Robert Avila. Right now, I'm going to uh, play an audio for you. This is from Wynn Worley. I think that's the one we'll do. Um, Let's see here. Yes, let's try this. Stand by. You really came out on that one. Let's stand up and do it, won't you? Come on, here we go. For God has not given to us a spirit of may be seated. Praise the Lord. And you know, it just may be, you know, the Lord has given me the ability to write things so people can understand it. I may just have to do some political writing before long. I hold a master's degree in in, uh, social sciences, so I'm kind of qualified to know some of these things that are going on, some of these lies that are being told. I know how to research. And then I'll know how to extract it and put it in real simple terms because I don't understand anything complicated myself. And when I write it simple, then everybody can understand it. (laughs) I may just have to get back to my typewriter. I tell you what, the fight is on people. And that's why I like to think about that when I'm traveling along, it's Jesus and me. I traveled along upon this lonesome way. My burdens were heavy and dark was my day. I looked for a friend, not knowing that he had all of the time been looking for. and me for each tomorrow in every heartache through every sorrow I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend and so to the end it is Jesus and me the road may be long to heaven's pearly gate. I know that it's narrow. I know that it's straight. But Jesus is there through eternity. We'll travel along just Jesus and me. Now it is Jesus and me for each tomorrow, for every heart. 
to the end. It is Jesus and me. Forever I'll sing of his great love for me. Forever I'll tell it on land or on sea. I'll stay by his side. Contented I'll be for all of my life. It is Jesus and me. Now it is Jesus and me for each tomorrow. In every heartache, through every sorrow, I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend. And so to the end, it is Jesus and me. And so when everybody else is gone, you still have the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's sing, I believe in the Lord, while we're singing. You were singing real good a while ago. Do you believe in him tonight? All right. I believe in the Lord. I Musicians don't trust me. They figure by the time they get up, I'll call them back. Um, I'll tell you this. If I were you, I'd get my prayer muscles limbered up. I'd get familiar with binding and loosing. I'd go after the devil's big ones. Bind them every day and loose spirits of God on them. I'd go after the ones in myself and in the church. The devil is moving in mighty power. But my Bible says where sin does abound, there does grace much more abound. And the very outpouring of the foul and vicious evil that's coming against our nation almost guarantees that God's got a a people somewhere 
through which he's going to pour a counter flood of his grace. Are you ready to be an instrument of that grace? Now that may not be the most pleasant thing in the world. Jesus was the instrument of God's grace. Do you remember that? Was his life just a bed of beautiful roses and tiptoe through the tulips? And isn't it wonderful that he's come to visit with us? No, they asked him to leave town. They tried to throw him over a cliff. They were not particularly happy that he was there. To be an instrument of God's marvelous grace and truth doesn't necessarily make you popular. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of theaters tonight over in River Oaks and other places that are much more popular than churches. As a matter of fact, we have a large crowd compared to some churches bigger than us that are having services. Most of them have discontinued the services having felt that their cups were filled adequately at five minutes till twelve this morning. And they left promptly and the choir sang Amen and they might as well sang All Shaw because nothing really happened anyhow. God has got to find a people who will pay the price and it can be a very bloody price. When we first started in this ministry prophecies came through. I think I still have some copies of them in the files. I'm going to drag them out sometime and reprint them. They talk about if you are faithful to carry this message some of you will seal your testimony with your blood before this thing is through. Is that alright? Does God have a right to do that? Does he have a right to ask such terrible things? Well I have a family. Who, me? You know, you can say, here am I, send Pastor Worley. <laughs> He's a nut. He doesn't mind, you know. But me, I, you know, I got other things to do. Listen, you've got to face the fact, are you willing to go all the way? Be careful of the enemy. He's picking off everybody he can pick off. You remember the vision I saw? Many of you have heard me tell about it, about the ship going through the sea after we got into deliverance I had this vision very strong vision of a beautiful sailing ship just sailing along the water was nice and the breeze was brisk and the ship was just sailing and for some reason I was standing up where the wheel was now I never steered a ship in my life a real one but I was behind the steering wheel and I happened to glance over to one side and there was an awfully storm over there Woo! lightning boiling black clouds you could just tell and the waves were choppy and high and it was dark and roaring and there was a one behind me and the voice said very clearly now, not being a seaman he didn't give it in seaman's language he told me to turn I know that's not the way you do a boat you don't turn it but that's why he told me turn and go into the storm but it's so nice here you know, the breeze is brisk, the waves are smooth, and we're just choppy, choppy, chop. How lovely, how delightful. Dun, 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 dun. And over there, oh, rats. What a terrible place. But anyway, it said very insistently turn and go into the storm. So we wheeled that wheel round and round, and that ship heeled over, and around she went. And then we were heading right on a collision course. With that awful boiling storm over there, lightning, black clouds boiling, waves, waves high as this building, just slosh, slosh. You could see them coming. 
And the voice said again, see that everything, give orders that everything be tied down tightly to the deck. Because everything that's not lashed down tightly will go overboard when we hit the, hit the storm. Nothing will survive that's not tightly tied to the ship. So it gave out the orders, tie down everything. And you know, we hit, when we hit those things, I'm telling you, it was like a roller coaster. The winds hit that thing, the mass began to groan and snap, the sails ripped into shreds. And that ship went up and down and around and, and just hundreds of thousands of gallons washed over the ship. And every time there was a, the ships were covered with water, I'd look and some things were gone that were down there before. It was true, everything that wasn't lashed tightly to the ship was going overboard. Nothing could survive the fury of that storm. And you know, I thought that storm was never going to cease. It just kept getting worse. And the further we went, the worse it got. And then all of a sudden, we broke into a calm and there was no more winds. The water was calm and still. And the ship, though it didn't have any sails left, it had just some broken masts and just tattered sheets of sails were left like ribbons. It was a wreck. It was a disaster. Broken things were everywhere, but the ship was still afloat. And it was still going. It was still moving as if it had sail power. And it was just putty-putting along. And the Lord said, even so, the ship will go through storms. And that will take away everything that doesn't belong. But you'll still make it through. We're going to make it through, people. I don't know about you. I take another loop in the rope and tie my foot down a little tighter. Because that water came over the wheel, too. But the, the pilot is still steady. There's nothing to fear. The worst the enemy can do is kill you. When he's done that, he's done his worst. And he can't do that without permission. <laughs> they say, I'm going to kill you. I said, you got to get permission from my father. What are you talking about? I'll shoot you. Well, the human being that may be wielding the weapon may not know, but I know that the demons in him have to get permission before that bullet will ever do its job. And if the father says it's time for Worley to come home, brother, he'll go home. They shoot a bullet at me and I'll ride that straddle that thing right her to glory. I mean, you don't plan to live forever anyway, do you? I mean, if you got to go, why not go out in a burst of glory? I'd rather, I'd rather go in, in a burst of glory and do something for the Lord at the same time, spit in the devil's eyes, I leave. Hmm? Say, so you can kill me, but you can't make me bow at your feet. The Hebrew children went in the fire furnace, you know, they said, be it known unto you, O king, you can throw us in the fire. But being known unto you, we're not going to fall down and worship your God no matter what you do. And he was the higher authority. And they defied it. They said, absolutely not. The disciples were preaching the word of God with power. They got hauled into court for it. You cut this out, it's against our law. They said, well, your law is wrong. And you can decide, you can debate all you want to and decide what you think is right. But whether it be right in your eyes or not, in God's eyes it's right and we're going to do what God says and we don't mind what you say. 
be it known unto you, we're going to preach anyhow. The only thing you can do is kill us, put us in jail. It wasn't too pleasant. Paul and Silas found that out. They beat all the hide off their backs, put them down in the inner prison, Acts 16, you remember that? In the inner prison, down in the dank, where the rats and the roaches and lice and slime and all the rest of the stuff was down there. And they put them in stocks to boot. Did you ever see stocks? Now how two fellows with their backs beaten raw were going to do any damage, I don't know. But they put them in stocks. Their hands and feet in stocks to be sure they didn't move around. So they'd be more miserable. It's dark. They can't see a thing. When that door slams shut, there's not an ounce of light coming from anywhere. It's in the midnight hour. After a while, Paul says, Silas, yeah, you sleep. He said, are you kidding? If you had my back, would you sleep? He said, no, mine's pretty bad too. It's burning. What are we going to do? Well, let's talk about the faithfulness of the Lord. And they got talking about Jesus. Quoting scripture, next thing you know, they were they started singing. Praise I mean they sing in moments like these. I sing out a song, you know. If they'd had it written then, that's what they'd have done. And you know what? And what they did, you see, up in hell in the third heaven, God caught the echoes of that singing in the night, songs in the middle of the night. And he said, Angels, I can't stand it no longer. Go down there and shake that jail apart. My men are down there singing at midnight, praising my son. Boy, they had something, didn't they? And the angels came down, grabbed hold of that jail, and gave her a shake, and every door in the place popped open. You remember the story. And the rest of the prisoners were too scared to run. They heard the song. They may never hear your songs in the daylight, people, but when you go in the dark, when everything's going backwards, that's when the world will listen to your songs in the night. We've got to have people like that to go through the storm that's coming. Those who can be lured away by the Satan's flattery, oh, you're so great, you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing that. Those who can be lured away by fear, oh, you better watch out. Oh, you don't want to go to jail. You don't lose your reputation, you haven't got any. If you've been coming to Hegwish, you lost that a long time ago. Don't you know that, haven't you? Haven't you noticed how your relatives and friends shied off, how they thinned out after you announced you were at Hagwish? Hagwish. You've heard of it? Yes. <laughs> Look like they smell something bad, you know. Well, Jesus made himself of no reputation. We didn't intend to, but we made ourselves of no reputation too, just by doing the works of Jesus. If that's what it takes, is it, is it worth it, people? Is it? Paul said we are considered the scum and the off-scouring of the world. The world looks at us as scum. Stupid. Simplistic idiots. Bibliolaters worshipping the Bible. Well, I'd rather worship the Bible than what they worship. I'm telling you, I bow to the Word of God. Thank God. Because it reveals the living Word. And I don't worship this paper. But I'll tell you, I praise God for the principles it teaches me and the power and authority it gives the believers. Don't you? Praise God. And God is looking for men and women now who will pay a price, a bloody price, if need be, to stand for freedom. 
our forefathers brought forth this nation in the bloody crucible of a revolutionary war and everybody that puts their signatures on that document lost their property and everything else. Did you know that? The enemy wiped them out and said, we'll teach you to go around and advocate freedom. It was as unpopular then as it is now. And we're moving into the next year, in the next 12 months. I suspect we will see some of the most dreadful repression. I've had a, an anxiety in my spirit, not an anxiety, of how would you say, a foreboding in my spirit that we're going to lock horns with some of the most fierce and vicious demons we've ever seen in our life. There'll be an all-out attempt to crush this church completely. What was it, a few weeks back? How long ago has it been? The enemy moved in and tried to kill me. Running 105 plus fever, four nights and days. And in the midst of my spirit, the song kept echoing in moments like these. I sing out a song. And I remember just being so calm. The demons were whirling in all kinds of colors and sights and sounds and screaming and noises that I've never heard in my life. It's like being caught in one of those television video messes. It's the nearest thing I can describe. And uh, I was whirling round and round and round and round. And yet the demons were coming at me, you know, and screaming. And I said, Father, is this it? Is this the way it go is this the way we finish up or what? And then I'd hear that song. <laughs> In moments like these, I sing out a song. Sing out a love song with Jesus. Moments like these. I lift up my hands to that name. And it was so quiet and peaceful in the center. I can't explain to you how the storm was so vicious all around me. And everything was coming unglued. That I was seeing in my mind's eye or wherever I was looking. I don't know. I don't know where I was looking. It sure was a strange place. I never had been there before. But those enemies came for, for all that period of time. Practically, I guess, 48 hours. A steady attack and absolutely nothing would break that fever. Nothing would break that fever. But the people here were standing in prayer. And we'd call people, my wife would call people, and we'd deliver people across the country, and they fell into the gap and began to pray. And there was the gosh awfulest battle you ever saw in your life over one big old preacher that was laying there between death and life. And the enemy said, We're going to push him over. And the believer said, No, you're not. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And I just stand up there saying, is this the way it's going to be? Is this the time we go, Lord? And when that thing broke and when it cleared, I mean it cleared, it was gone. I was so weak I could hardly stand up, but it was gone. And the Lord said, son, the enemy lost. Your people and the people across the country prevailed. The enemy was determined to drive me out of the battle to destroy this church. They decided if they couldn't knock that hard head out of the pulpit, they'd never be able to handle you hard heads. 
But if they could knock me over, they might be able to pick you off and get you discouraged. I don't think, I, don't, I think they are lying, but that's what he thought. Because remember, you remember how the church continued running for five solid weeks when I was, could not be in this pulpit? And the men of this church and the women of this church prayed and the men took over and everything just went right on. And the enemy didn't get a bit of breather. The enemy was, was attacked systematically as always. The word was taught. The people sang. They praised the Lord. And the enemy didn't gain a thing. Except he made me mad. I mean he took up too much of my time. I got better things to do with my time. And laid around sick. <laughs> but I just believe that glorious things are ahead. Now he missed on that one. Now I think he's going to prepare an all-out offensive to crush the church. Now whether the attack will come from within or without or whether it will be a combination assault, which is very possible, I don't know. But I advise you to put your prayer roots down deep. The devil's going to come around and check every one of them. He's going to pull to see how tight you're hooked. And he knows all your weaknesses and he's going to come at you with them. Don't let the devil put anything between you and me or any other brother or sister here. Because that's the way he gets you off balance. So watch out for it. She must not like me. How do you know? Well, just the way she looked at me. She didn't look at me. I spoke to her and she just ignored me. That's the way it starts. Or he must think he's important. I ought to be up there. The devil said, that's right. Well, you're much better qualified. Bless your heart. If I was you, I'd go somewhere else. God will start a new work with you. A glorious work. We've had some people go away here to start glorious works and they went... Now that doesn't mean that people can't leave here and start a glorious work. If God sends them out, they will. But they'll go out, as, as, as Buzz said, through the hugging line, and not the other way. Good thing Frank's going out that way. But be on your guard, people. The devil's got us on his hit list. Now this is nothing new. Now you visitors are looking at me kind of strange. Uh, we're at war, people. I, if you have been where the churches are at peace and joy and happiness and on furlough and having a good time, well, we have a good time, but it's only when we, we're like Gideon's army. We keep our, our hands on our weapons while we're drinking because the enemy can swoop in at any time, and we know that. And we have a good time, believe it or not. The demons are highly entertaining, especially when you got them down. And uh, we, we, we have a lot of fun. But also we realize this is deadless, serious business. And the enemy is out to destroy us. Now you gals get behind these men, the heads of your houses. Because the enemy, in order to get at you, is going to come through them. You say, well, my husband's not much. Well, you need to prop him up. And you don't do that with a two before. You do that with prayer. You said, well, I'm sort of tired of you as a preacher. Well, you better prop me up because I'm the best you got. 
and I'm so big nobody can push me out of the way so you're just going to have to put up with me and it would be better for you to pray for me. He said, well, you irritate me. Well, let me be like a grain of dirt that gets an oyster and irritates it till it makes a pearl out of it. I'll be your pearl. Biggest pearl you ever did see. <laughs> Just surround me with love and prayer and see how much better I'll preach. Huh? Watch out for the attacks of the enemy. You gals, watch out for attacks of fear. Women are security oriented. Men are crazy. I guess you knew that. Right? Well, men were created to work and to fight. And really, those are the two main drives. that they, they, uh, they get out to work, make a living. If they don't work, they're miserable and make everybody else around them miserable. And they're created to fight. And if they don't have anything to fight with, they'll, go fight, they'll find a fight. That's why it's so good that God geared us up to fight demons. And you can take all your fighting business out on them. And then you don't have to fight with your wife and your kids and all the other things. So you fight with the enemy. That's permissible. But women are more security oriented. My lovely house. My glorious dishes. My lovely china. Did you know that God never did guarantee us a house to live in? He'll give us uh, food. To, Jesus said I didn't have, he didn't have a house to hang his hat in. He said, well that's a fine thing to get up and tell people. I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm going to exaggerate and tell you a lie. Tell you had a string of condominiums and over on the west coast with a couple of Rolls Royces parked out back, just for you know for standby. The Apostle Paul didn't have anything either. He said, "Well, you think we ought not to have anything? No, but I think you ought not to be hooked to it. Whatever you have in the way of a home, material blessings, enjoy it. Praise God for it." And use it. I never forget. I used to pastor a church way out in a rural area of East Texas. You can't get much more rural than that. And some farmers out there. I remember one night I was taking some. uh, One of the men of the church didn't get to come to church, and uh, but his, his wife and family wanted to come, and he said, "Well, I'll just stay here and finish what I got to do on Sunday night," and and. So, uh, preacher, if you'll just take my family. I said, sure, I'll take them. So we loaded them in my car and we went on to church. We had church. We came back home. We was winding down those red dirt roads. And all of a sudden we saw a light over in the side there, you know. And this woman said, ah, somebody's house is on fire. So I, she said, hurry, Father Worley. And so I speeded up and we went zooming down that road. As we got closer, she said, oh, my Lord, it's our house. And our first thought was her husband. Was he all right? You know, we drove in. It wasn't their house, but it was their barn. A brand new barn. They hadn't had it too long. It was full of hay. And it had caught fire and their prized bull was in there too. And there it was going up in flames. And then it came over and caught their house on fire. And the house burned down. The neighbors were there, way out in the country. No fire trucks, no way to stop it. They just ran in and saved what few things they could get out. And you know, I stood there with that family. Sweet, wonderful Christians, hard working. They'd worked hard for everything they had. And I remember the community, of course, the church, and other people in the community came in and they put that house back up built that barn they brought in things they started bringing in you talk about a shower but they got it 
course, they took them home with them that night to their homes and uh, fed them, put them to bed and everything. But then they restored all that. And I remember the big shower they had. They brought all kinds of sheets and towels and everything else. And the lady of the house said this. She said, you know, we're going to use every one of these. She said, my best towels and sheets I never used. I saved them. Been saving them for years. And they went up in smoke. We never got to enjoy them. I was saving them. Had them for years. I wanted to save them for some special occasion. Said the special occasion came. Up in smoke they went. And she said, never again. I'm going to use everything I've got. I thought about that a lot of times. You know, do you ever do that? You put your good stuff back, you know. uh, Put your good dishes back and eat off that old crack plate. May have bugs crawling out of there. You can't ever tell. Well, I mean, that's true. You know, down those little cracks, the little bitty things that crawl around, little creepy crawlers down in there. Um, What am I saying? Let's enjoy the blessings God's given us. There's nothing wrong with being careful and economical. As you know, I believe in economy. I even make my Dutch member over here squeam sometimes. He said, you put me in the shade, and I thought I was tight. I said, well, Scotchman can always do that to Dutchman. But anyway, when you have these blessings, I believe God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Let's enjoy them as blessings from the Lord and don't get attached to them to the point that you die if they're taken away. That you're miserable because I broke my plate. My pretty plate. I've only got three dozen others. But that one just tore up my day. Aren't we foolish to get all upset about the little things? Now, you fellows are enjoying that too much. When you lose that pair of pliers, my best pair of pliers, and your wife said, what are pliers? Well, never mind. (laughs) Oh, those things. I saw the kid dump those in the garbage. I thought it was junk. Junk! My very best. Don't we do like that? Oh, listen. God wants us to be in this world. He wants to give us things to enjoy and use and to look to Him and say, Thank you, Lord, because this makes life a little more pleasant, a little easier. I'm able to have, I have a home so I can have my friends in. I can be hospitable. I can enjoy and fellowship and enjoy the Lord with my family and with my friends. You've given me food. Lord, yes, all over, everywhere I look. I don't see a starving person anywhere in the building. You've given us food, clothing, and shelter, more than we could ask. Enjoy it. It may not last much longer. There's a plan afoot to take your homes from you. They figure you could do just as well in a barracks. And all this good food you're enjoying, we'll enjoy it. Because they're planning something much more simple, much more basic. Rotten onion soup and things of this sort. Like, you know, the usual fare in a concentration camp. That's what the enemy has for you. Now let me tell you this, people. Is it worth fighting for? 
to maintain and enjoy the things God's given us and throw back the wicked enemy who plans to do nothing less than to destroy us utterly and to put us to an open shame. I've said before, I'll say again, I believe we can have a revival and restoration of the power of God in the church now while we're in reasonable prosperity and we have many opportunities and many advantages or we can do it from a concentration camp. If you want to know what that's like, read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Find out what it was like in those concentrations. That's exactly what the monsters who are directing the conspiracy have in mind for us. They don't have any use for you. They plan to kill 130 million people in the United States. You're in the way. That's kind of nasty to just shoot them all because you'd stink up the place. So it's better if you starve them to death and kill them a few at a time and bury them a few hundred a day. You gradually get rid of them. You can work them to death. That's what they do in Russia. You can put them in hospitals. That's what they do in Russia. They don't have any concentration camps in Russia. You knew that, didn't you? There are large hospitals for sick people. Sick people have a dreadful disease of capitalism. They think that they should own something for themselves. That when they work, they should have wages and they should be able to buy something for themselves and their family. And that's a terrible disease. And when you're caught with this kind of disease in Soviet Russia, they put you in a concentration camp. We call it that because we don't understand. They're hospitals that are help to help cure those people. In order to get rid of that terrible greediness they have, they put them there to work 12, 16, 18 hours a day and starve them systematically to death. They figure if they work long enough like that, they'll lose all interest in trying to have anything for themselves because they won't have anything. Oh dear, they dropped dead. Well, they almost learned the lesson before they died. Those are hospitals. Now people, this is the alternative, believe me, and we're not as far from it as you think we are. The concentration camps are already laid out. Big army camps are sitting around the country, all fenced up and empty except with just maintenance personnel. How had you noticed? What for? What on earth for? Well, there's a purpose. And there's a plan. And they're strategically located all over the country. I told you about in Montana, when I was out in Montana, they were telling me about them go, the Bureau of Land Management going in, government, your taxpayer dollars, drilling wells in the corner of these sections of land and putting a water well in, deep water well, and then capping it off. Why? Well, because when they put up housing out there in the middle of the Lone Prairie, where nothing can live except a jackrabbit, and he has to have three acres to graze on. Uh, they're going to put barracks up out there. They'll need water as, for those who survive for a while. And you can walk hundreds of miles in any direction, and it's over 105 degrees in the summer and, and 40 below in the winter, and nobody's likely to walk out of there. Isn't that neat? These things are facts, people. They're not just fairy tales. You see, the plans of the enemy are so horrible until you can't get people to believe them. They say this is insanity. Yeah, it really is. It's demonic insanity. I first tripped onto this 30 years ago and it spun me out of, oh, over 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I guess I found out about it. 
it spun me into orbit then. And I tried to put it out of my mind because nobody else believed it. Some people thought I was crazy. Others knew that I was when I mentioned it. Then I heard the man who introduced me to it five years later. And so many things had lockstepped and happened exactly as he had predicted. Things that could never, never, never happen in this country. That's what I said when I heard him say it. I said, oh, that could never be. Our Constitution, our laws would protect us. Our glorious government would never allow this to happen. But they lockstepped in and every program was working toward destruction. And a man walked up to him and he said, well, they said, well, what, what can we do? He said, well, there isn't a whole lot you can do unless the churches rally. That's the only hope. He said, is it as bad as that? He said, well, he said, if we were on the 10th floor of a building and the body of a man dropped past the window and you said, you suppose that man hit the ground? What would I say? He said, is it, this was a preacher. He's uh, asking him, he said, is it that bad? He said, it's that bad. You see, the principalities and powers erecting this monstrosity are using human dupes. And it doesn't matter how many of the human beings they use up in the process. I mean, when David Rockefeller dies, they'll just get somebody else. As mean and reprobate as he is to take over and guide and direct the monstrosities. They'll just, they'll just move in and embody into somebody else. Unless somebody who has superior power challenges them and forces them to an all-out fight. Are you getting the picture? Do you know that believers have the power to challenge this wickedness? That's what God told me. He said, son, the same principalities and powers that are directing the conspiracy to destroy the whole country are the same kind of critters that you deal with on the floor of your church and across the nation and what has happened to those demons when you clashed with them? I said well they scream they holler for mercy they say back off leave us alone he said well that's the same bunch I said oh what was the Lord telling me son you've already got the keys to the kingdom start using those keys binding and loosing plowing to the enemy the order of the day attack Attack, attack. Now, where have I heard that before? It's still. Well, let's go to some good stuff in Colossians before. My goodness, the time has scooted. We stopped in Colossians. We were in the first chapter. We're talking about Christ, the hope of glory, in verse 27. And Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul said whom we preach, warning every man, verse 28, Colossians 1, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature, grown up in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now you see, here's the thing. There are patriots in this country who believe in the Constitution and believe in America. There are even Christian patriots who believe in the Constitution, believe in the Word of God. But many of those Christian patriots do not know about spiritual warfare. They pray, and that does 
a limited amount of good. But you and I know that when you come to dealing with demons, you've got to be more direct and more precise and more exact. I mean, let's face it. You can blow some birds out of the tree with a, with a, with a shotgun. But there comes to be some birds you're going to have to get a rifle and zero in on that one bird and knock him out of the tree. And there's where the deliverance workers come in because they have been schooled to attack with deadly weapons. And not only to attack themselves but also to teach other believers how easy it is, how simple it is to enter into the battle and be better armed. And this is the only thing that will turn the battle. No amount of legal expertise will do it by itself. We need that. Because we need to tangle them up in their own nets. We need this. But the deciding factor will always be the spiritual. And besides that, I don't want to see this country restored by secular power. Do you? Might wouldn't it, it would get just as rotten on the other side. There's a ditch on the right-hand side as well as on the left. We're over on the right. We're veering toward the left, and there's a sewer down there. But I got news for you. The twin sewer runs in the right-hand ditch. I want to see this nation up on the high road of Bible principles. And under the authority of Jesus Christ and the principles of God's word. And running the way she was designed to go. So what we need is Christian patriots who have some sense some know-how in the secular but have a way to put some moxie behind that spiritual power and if we throw a block of spiritual power behind this there's no telling where this thing will stop it might just knock the living hound out of the devil I say it's worth a try And Paul said, I also labor, striving according to Jesus working, which worketh in me how? Mightily. God's not playing tiddlywinks. And he can outclass the devil and his demons any day in the week and twice on Sunday. You never have to worry about the weapons of your warfare being inferior. We just need to be concerned about knowing how to operate those things. We've got them outgunned, people. We've got to rouse up the army, get God's people concerned, and arm them with spiritual weapons that will tear down the strongholds of the princes and the principalities. And we can do great service to our nation and to the cause of Christ by doing this. Some people will not accept what we're talking about. They think we're often loony bin someplace we fell off the turnip truck some ways back but when we start talking about dealing directly with demons well don't stop to argue with them just go ahead and bind and loose anyway whether they understand it or not it'll help them do them good besides and if they and there'll be some people who'll understand there's a man who came all the way from Washington State and stopped off here to learn more about what he'd caught the drift of in the books and he's very happy with what he learned Matter of fact, I think something in him was singing a loud song this morning. Ah! <laughs> Just before it left. Praise God. This church exists to be a hand of Jesus reaching out to the tormented and bound people and to offer them hope where there isn't any hope. 
The people are so bound all over this nation. Last two, two and a half years, I've flown over 150,000 miles for this blessed message of freedom. Taking it to God's people. I haven't tried to evangelize, although we've seen some people saved where we've gone. But I've been taking this message to God's people who've already been saved, but are still bound. And oh, the joy to see the, the, the bonds break loose and the people come free. And then to get the letters and calls and have them come here later. And praising God because their life has been so changed. And they're moving into a new realm of power with the Lord. And they're able to read the Bible. They're able to study. They're able to witness. They're able to be the kind of daddy, the kind of wife, the kind of husband or wife or child they ought to be. Praise God. But the people are bound. Don't stop to argue with those who want to quibble and debate. Pass them by. If they got time to debate, let them go. You're never going to win people by debating with them. The facts speak for themselves. If they don't believe it, tell them to come to Hagwish. The books will drive the nails in, but when you get over here, we bend the nails over so they won't come out. Because you see that it really works in just ordinary people. We don't need more schools. We don't need more cathedrals. We need loving believers filled with the Spirit of God and taught in the methods of spiritual warfare, fanning out to share with those who are willing to listen. We don't have time to have a bunch of classes. We can put a few little booklets in their hand and give them some guidelines. If they mean business, they'll dig in and the Holy Spirit will turn them on. They'll be like blowtorches going after the enemy. If that doesn't do it, chances are you could send them to school three years and it wouldn't do a bit of good. They'd come out as just, well, you've heard the scripture that some preachers preach from. Many are cold and a few are frozen. I believe that God is calling forth a people in this day. I believe he's going to arm them with spiritual power. Such will exceed whatever God... Listen, there's coming, there's coming a lot of rain. It's got to get in here somewhere. I'd like to see it hit now, wouldn't you? The land is thirsty. I mean, why do you want to sit down and say, well, maybe it'll come in the next generation. I think we've about had it. Well, I haven't had enough. I don't know about you. I just keep aggravating the Lord about it. Saying, come on, Lord, you promised. Now show us what to do. Let's get the people high. And he keeps telling me, arm the people. Raise up an army. You know, a long time ago, I used to preach. Oh, I'd preach in thunder about rising through the hole in the sky just as the enemy closes in for the kill. After we got in deliverance, I hadn't thought too much about it. We'd been so busy fighting demons. The war went, took on a full-scale note, and I never thought too much about it. And all of a sudden, one day, the God said, Son, what did I tell you to do? And I said, Well, you told me to raise up an army. To destroy the works of the devil. He said, that's right. And uh, he said, uh, did I tell you anything about Dunkirk? And of course, some of you, that you're too young know what that is. Dunkirk was the place where the Allies had to pull out of France and take everything to England to escape utter destruction on the continent during World War II. And the Germans overran France. 
He said, did I say anything to you about an evacuation at Dunkirk? I said, no, sir. He said, why are you preaching evacuation? I said, oh. He said, what kind of army is this supposed to be? I said, a fighting one. He said, that's right. Quit telling them they're going to evacuate. They're not going to evacuate. They're going to fight. I said, oh. (laughs) So I uh, stopped trying to slip away through the hole in the sky and armed the troops and began to encourage them to expect an all-out battle to the death. Now, if God chooses to intervene, change that, that'll be fine with me, Lord. I don't mind. But right now, my orders are tell the troops to expect a long and bitter battle in which Jesus Christ will triumph. And they too will triumph eventually. That'll be true to the faith. According to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He said, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. Did you know that Paul was fighting for them? He's fighting for them. He said, and for them at Laodicea. And as far as many as have not seen my face. He said, I have been in battle for you. How did he get in battle? Well, he's fighting the principalities and powers over those people, over those churches. Paul went to battle all the time. He didn't know anything about a furlough. He didn't even take time for a bingo game. He didn't watch the Cubs. Ooh, that was dirty, wasn't it? Well, all of us have areas to tighten up, don't we? But what I'm saying is Paul had great conflict for the church at Colossae, the church at Laodicea. And he said, I even battle for those who have never even seen my face. Because he was concerned about that. Now what does he do? What's their conflict? That their hearts might be comforted. Oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You ever sing that in your closet, you know? Oh, poor me. And the devil said, that's right. Bless your heart. Surely nobody has ever suffered as you have suffered. Oh, you poor little thing. Bless your little heart. God must not love you too much. He doesn't pay much attention, does he? No. And he, oh, he just butters you up. But Paul comes in, the mighty apostle. It's good to have an old Paul over there on the sideline somewhere who's battling and saying, Lord, that's Alice. She's going down for the third time. Grab her quick. Get her by the hair if anything else. Pull her up. She's about to give up. And all of a sudden, fresh strength that they, she gets comforted. And in the midst of old me, oh, praise God. The comfort of the Lord comes. Why? Because somebody went to battle in conflict. See, we've lost this in the church. Battling in the heavenlies for one another. I wouldn't be standing up here had not somebody battled in the heavenlies. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I thought, sure, I could sing, Lord, I'm coming home. Then he changed the song and said, in moments like these, just sing out a song. Hmm? Of course, some of you played a dirty trick, you know. They've been praying against me for the sake of you visitors. I've got the work all set up, ready to go. Everybody's trained, the workers are ready to go, and now it's time for me to retire, you see, and go home to heaven, and I'll watch the game from afar. Now that was my plan. 
But you teach these people wrong. You see, you teach them to read the Bible, and they get over there messing around, reading what the Bible says. And here they go claiming extra years for you and, and buy. I mean, you know, and the next thing you know, you're loaded down. You're going to have to stick here. One time I was having trouble. I'd sprained my ankle, and I thought I was never going to walk again. I was feeling very sorry for myself. I had a dear, dear, sweet cub of mine that I raised and just gave him love and understanding and sweetness all the days I've had him. He looked at me and I said, oh, I just don't know whether I'll ever walk again. He looked at me and said, now when? You can just hobble around like this till you're 80, 90 years old if you want to. But you're not going anywhere. Or you can get well. Well, you see, I'm up walking around. I mean, if you're going to have to drive, you have to stay around, you might as well get up where you can walk, huh? Isn't it good to have people around you that care? He said, I'll tell you one thing, you're not going to start this war and run off and leave us to finish it. Praise the Lord. The fight is on. Called arms loud and clear. You heard the call? Did you say, pray have me be excused? I hope not. That's what they said when Jesus sent out the call. Pray have me be excused. That's why the nation is down the tube. Preachers and other leaders who should be leading the people into battle have said, pray have me be excused. Instead of saying, where, Lord? Where shall the troops hit the army? Now, your hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He said, I want to dump on you all the riches that God has purposed for you. Wow. How would you like to have a boy like that pulling the strings for you? Isn't that encouraging? And you and I can do this on behalf of somebody else. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He said men will come and try to entice you away from this. And make you think that playing church is better. Recreating is better. But he said, oh, don't pass up the best for a mess of pottage. Don't be like Esau who sold out and gave away a precious thing and he never could get it back. We have a birthright that's unbelievably valuable. Don't mess around and lose it and lose your opportunity to be a soldier, a battling soldier. You say, well, supposing you say we're going to win, but I see a lot of soldiers fall. 90 seconds. But you see, they're still on the winning side, aren't they? Hmm? Is it going to pay to be on the winning side? I challenge you to read the scriptures and find out. We'll find out who the fools are. Those who frittered their lives away and doing their own thing or those who gave their lives that others might be pulled out of the pits of hell. I think you'll find that this whole thing is worth fighting for. It's all wrapped up together. The spiritual battle... 
undergirds that spiritual battle. The spiritual battle, if the spiritual battle goes well, then the other battle is going to go well. But remember, all believers do not have knowledge of spiritual warfare. It's our job, because God has shown us these things, to practice it and to share it with everybody who will listen. And to teach it to them because it isn't that difficult. If you're here tonight and you've never asked Jesus in your heart, much of this may not make much sense to you. But if you've never asked Jesus in your heart or you're not sure you have, wouldn't you like to tonight? The war is on. And without Jesus, there's no hope at all. I mean, it's going to be a battling, fighting chance for the believers. There's no chance at all for those outside of Christ. No chance whatsoever. You're going to just literally be wiped out. And you'll have nothing in this life, and you'll have nothing to look forward to that's good in the coming life, the life hereafter. Doesn't that make you interested in joining up? No draftees, please, just those who volunteer. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. If you've never done this or you're not sure you have, wouldn't you like to ask him tonight? If you're not sure you know how or you're not sure you have, why don't you make your way down the front? Tell one of the workers here at the front, I need to talk to somebody about salvation. And let them help you sit down with the Word of God and show you what God says. And then you can get it settled once and for all. You say, well, I joined the church. I'm not exactly a heathen. I'm not good enough for heaven, but I'm certainly not bad enough for hell. You see, you go either one way or the other. And if you don't have Jesus, you're not sure about him, you don't have anything. I'd come and check it out if I had doubts and fears. Won't hurt to check it out. If it's real, it'll come through. If it's not real, you can find it out tonight and change it. And make get the real thing. Now, if that's not your problem, but you're driven, you're harassed, you're tormented, this is producing compulsive behavior which slows down, stops, or reverses spiritual growth and progress, let me encourage you to come and receive help and deliverance from evil spirits. Because this is the trail they leave. They drive, harass, torment, they, com- they uh, cause compulsive behavior, and this will cause you to slow down, to stop, or even reverse your spiritual growth and progress. This is how you know you got them. Now, Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils. That's our authority. That's the reason we do it. It's part of the commission of Christ. It's part of the Great Commission. And we encourage you, come and receive this. Another sign that follows believers is you'll speak with new tongues. If you've not received this gift since you were saved, your salvation was a gift, you received it, and you got it. Tongues are the same way. You can receive it and have it tonight if you want it. If you don't have it, you want it, come. Somebody could share with you. And if you're interested, they can pray with you. God never gave a gift that wasn't worth having. And by the way, he did not discontinue that. Contrary to the book that Dr. Smelfungus wrote saying it was all over after the first century. Jesus never rescinded this. He said, they shall speak with other tongues. It's a sign that follows believers. And then he says, uh, another sign that follows believers is that you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If you have physical needs, there are people here who have faith to believe that Jesus heals today and lay hands on you in Jesus' name. Pray for your healing. If you need help, come. The body of Christ will go into ministry now. Let's stand, sing something about that name. And as we do, if you have a need, make your way down to the front. And we'll get a worker with you right away. Praise God. Did you all enjoy that tonight? That was Pastor Win Worley. You can find out more about his ministry by going to 
wrwpublications.com. That's the official book room, bookstore, where you can pick up the books and booklets, audios, DVDs by Pastor Wynn Worley, called The General. He went home to be with Jesus in 93, but his church that he started, Hegwish Baptist Church, goes strong for Jesus. It's up in Highlands, Indiana. Highlands, Indiana. And his son-in-law, Michael Thier, pastors HBC. That's an acronym for Praise the Lord. How you doing, my friend? Hey. Hi there. Well, bless you. How are you? Can you hear me? Oh, you're coming through great. Doing great. Everybody, welcome aboard. Uh, if you're on MixLR Standby, we're going to save this and be right back with Evangelist Michael Basham. Here we 